0: You're listening to Amazing Discoveries Audio. This is Total Onslaught Final Conflict, Episode 4, with Walter Fight. Wow, here we go again. One more evening of the second angel's message, or wrapping it up, and tomorrow evening... Welcome to the climax, which will be the third angel's message in the setting of today. I've called this lecture Behind the Scenes, and before we start, let's just bow our heads. Loving Heavenly Father, as we continue to unravel the scenes of history and the rapid approach of the final events, we know, Lord, that without you we can do absolutely nothing And so I pray that you will be our guide, our strength, and that you will give us steadfast hearts to stand in the times that we are heading towards and to claim all the promises which are in your word for a time such as this. And thank you, Lord, that all your promises are yea and amen. And so, Lord, may your angels surround us now. May your Holy Spirit be amongst us and grant us a sweet season with you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Behind the scenes, what's happening behind the scenes? That's a question that has filled the minds of many, many people through eons as they come into contact with the conflict between good and evil. And Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on this earth? So obviously there's going to be a situation where there will be very few defenders of the cause of Jesus. When you present the issue of the great controversy in the context of the three angels' messages, this is very easily confused with some form of religious zealot or some form of fanaticism. But in actual fact, all that the three angels' messages require is a stand for principle. That's all it is. To make a stand and say, this is the principle on which I stand. This is the master that I've gotten to know. This is the character that I appreciate and love. And this is the one I'm prepared to die. For after all, what can man do to you He can just kill the body and then there's nothing else he can do but rather fear your father in heaven because if you reject him, then by your choice you have eradicated yourself from the kingdom of heaven. And the character of God is so beautiful. It is such a refined character. It it never forces itself upon you. It doesn't force itself upon history. If you look at history and you see how things are happening and how the devil seems to have free reign, you can see the character of God and yet in spite of it, here, there, everywhere, people stand up and say, I'd rather have Jesus than anything. So he must be drawing and speaking to individual hearts, otherwise we'd go crazy which think the devil is in control. But he's not, because God has foretold history. In case we tend to believe that the devil is in control, he says, see, I tell you ahead of time, so that when it does happen, you will believe. Isn't that marvelous? God is so good. So, what's happening behind the scenes? Well, let me be up front. Nobody can say they know it all. We can see through a glass darkly. And we can put the picture together, and if we have the Bible and the spirit of prophecy, that's a tremendous help, a magnifying glass. But nobody can be so arrogant to say, I've swallowed all the knowledge in the world, and this is exactly how it is. But to the best of our abilities... I believe that God wants us to get pretty close. I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of the names of blasphemy. Revelation 17.3. Now, the Seventh-day Adventist church has been pretty adamant about what these symbols stand for. Revelation 13.4. And they worship the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? So obviously, whenever somebody confronted the beast, the war was on, and the beast overcame, and the beast overcame, and it seemed as if nothing would stop it in its tract. And even while the Son of Man was coming in the clouds of heaven to the Ancient of Days, he was speaking pompous words down here. So this power has been well described in the Bible. The beast, of course, is the false son. He's the one who takes the place of Jesus Christ. He's the Christos, the other Christ on earth. That's his role. He takes the titles of Jesus upon himself. King of kings, Lord of lords, Holy Father. All of these titles he claims as his own. He is Lord of his Sabbath. He proclaims the Sabbath and says, bow down to me and honor me and worship me by obeying my precepts and not someone else's. And uh, he claims all these powers unto himself. He is the one who had a mortal wound and yet rose from the dead to live again. He's a perfect counterfeit of Christ. And as such... He must receive the kingdom from the Father, which is the dragon in this false trinity. Now we've looked at those components. We've looked at the dragon component, the direct spirit of Satan working amongst mankind. We looked at that last night. The false prophet must be the one who has the signs and the wonders and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He's the counterfeit of the Holy Spirit. And we looked at that that claim falls upon the false prophet. But now we are told that the kings of the world will pay homage to this power. And the one who receives homage is always greater than the one that gives the homage. So that's simple logic. The other thing that requires cold logic is that if Satan is going to set up a universal kingdom with a universal religion which pays homage to him, then that means that the religion of Christ, the pure, unadulterated religion of Christ, must by definition be excluded, and the two groups, notice, two groups must eventually clash. It is inevitable. Cold Logic demands it. So here they are paying homage and worshipping the beast. Well, Revelation seventeen two with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. So that's the aspect I want to look at tonight. How the powers that be pay homage to the beast rather than to the dictates of the word. And the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. This false doctrine has permeated the world. The people have been prepared. Their mind has been altered. They see things in the light of this counterfeit system. And they believe that they are right and this is the only way to solve the problem. So are the kings of the world paying homage unto the beast? They certainly are. History proves that, and especially our modern times prove that. Every political being on this planet who has any say has to take a turn, his turn, to visit this power. There's Gorbachev and even this man. They say he's anti-pope then why has he got a Jesuit advisor by his side? This is Hegelian eclectic, always putting uh, opposites into the environment. And the kings and the queens, there is Queen Elizabeth, she's also known as the queen of the Bilderbergers, and dressed in black appropriately, with the man in white and the princess and the religious leaders, Grancy over there, and then the Islamic leaders, and the United States leaders and Margaret Thatcher's and the Carters and whether you're a Japanese prime minister or a Chinese one, this is where you end up or whether you are a Blair or whether you are a Bush, this is where you go. And uh, discussions under statues of Ignatius Loyola Revelation 17:12, And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet. The union of church and state must be complete. But receive power as kings one hour with the beast. So there will be a union of politics and church. Churchcraft and statecraft. Verse 13, these have one mind and shall have their power and give their power and strength unto the beast. So the political support will be given to this counterfeit antichrist system. That's what the Bible says. So when it happens, lift up your heads because you know that your redemption draweth near. Now as it happens and as these events take place, the Bible says God's people will come into dire straits. But, Isaiah twenty six twenty to 21, Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers and shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyselves, as it were, for a little moment, until the indignation be overpassed. For behold, the Lord cometh out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity, The earth also shall disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. So God's people must hide in the shadow of his wing and God will lead them individually as this time approaches. And then it'll happen. Psalms 110, 5 and 6, King James Version, New King James Version. The Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge amongst the nations. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. That's pretty straight talk, wouldn't you agree? That's pretty straight talk from the Bible. There's coming a time of retribution. God will not be slighted forever. And is God cruel and unjust? No. If we knew what was going on behind the scenes, we would say, God, why did you wait so long? Behold, the Lord came with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of their works of ungodliness which they have ungodly wrought and of all the hard things which ungodly sinners have spoken Against him. So the Old Testament, the New Testament, both of them in perfect harmony. The Lord is coming to say so far and no further. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the breath of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. 2 Thessalonians 2 8. This is a theology we are well aware of. It's not a popular theology. There's only one church in the world that preaches it. Did you know that? All the others preach a temporal millennium and all of these things, and there's only one church in the whole world that preaches it. Just like it stands. Behold, the Lord came with ten thousand of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly. Isn't that a tremendous sentence there, and to destroy the lawless one by the brightness of his coming. Now, we looked at the powers that be and how they set up this spiritual kingdom and their spiritual and political war. And we read this quote again here from Popery, Puseyism, and Jesuitism. At what then do the Jesuits aim? According to them, they seek only the greater glory of God. But if you examine the facts... You will find that they aim at universal dominion alone. They have rendered themselves indispensable to the Pope who without them could not exist because Catholicism is identified with them. They have rendered themselves indispensable to governors and hold revolutions in their hands. And in this way, either under one name or another, it is they who rule the world. That's a worldling. Making a statement, oh, I wouldn't say a thing, but very interesting. If you look at all the, the centuries of revolutions that we've had of late since 1750, the French Revolution, of course, the mother of revolutions, the American Revolution just before that, the Spanish Revolution, the Polish Revolution, the Italian Revolution, the German Revolution, the Russian Revolution, the First World War, the Second World War, all of these wars appeared only to have a political agenda. No, they didn't. They had a religious agenda. They were religious wars. We haven't got time to deal with all of the issues. I'm pushing the wrong button. Let's have a look at the French Revolution. This was a cataclysmic event that set the stage for the events. The whole of chapter 11 of Revelation is dedicated to this event, the French Revolution. And out of the French Revolution came a totally new philosophy. And there, for the first time, human rights were ensconced. And they wrote them on two tablets, just like the Ten Commandments, with fascii in the middle, showing that Fascism would be the control center of this new law. And above it, they had this funny little hat over there, the serpent with his tail in his mouth, this all-seeing eye of Lucifer and uh, the eye spear going right through the middle and this funny little hat on top over there, which they called the Jacobin hat. Now, what is a Jacobin hat? There it is, a nice funny little hat. This is the god Mitra. This is Mitraism, and Mitraism is the core religion of Roman Catholicism. In the seventh grade of a Mitreya, you became father and you got a congregation. And you belong to sub organizations just like in Catholicism. You can be a Franciscan, you can be a Jesuit, you can be a Dominican, you can be any one of those things. So the Jacobin hat concealed the secret religion of the occults, and people wore it with pride. Jacobinism is Luciferian worship without anyone knowing that it is so. Now, Education 2 to 8, at the same time, anarchy is seeking to sweep away all law, not only divine but human. The centralization of wealth and power, the vast combinations for enriching of the few at the expense of the many, the combinations of the poorer class for the defense of their interests and claims, the spirit of unrest, of riot and bloodshed, the worldwide dissemination of the same teachings that led to the French Revolution, all are tending to involve the whole world in a struggle similar to that which convulsed France. Amazing, you know. know, I am stunned when I read the spirit of prophecy. It is so amazing. So these teachings of the French Revolution will be the same yeast that will ferment this end-time cataclysm. Well, what happened after the French Revolution and during it? Mazzini and Pike, Albert Pike, the founder of Scottish Rite uh, Freemasonry, developed a plan for three world wars, so that eventually every nation would be willing to surrender its national sovereignty to a world government. The first war was to end the Tsarist regime in Russia. The second war was to allow the Soviet Union to control Europe. The third world war was to be in the Middle East between Muslims and Jews and would result in Armageddon. That's what they said. This has been on document a long time It even was in the British Museum, and people could go and read it over there. So they wanted to create this Ordo Abcao, this order out of chaos. Orthodoxism had to be subjected to Rome. Protestantism had to be eradicated. The Protestant nations were cut out and enforced. Atheism was subjected and forced upon them for the over 80 years of the rule of communism And once that religion had been watered down to non-existence, the plug was pulled out under communism. And these three wars that were to be fought were to bring it about. Now, here in the United States, they brought the Statue of Liberty according to UNESCO itself. The Statue of Liberty, this is UNESCO writing its own workbook, the seven sun rays emanating from Mitra's halo, symbolize his triumph over the forces of darkness. Now remember that in the occult, cult, the forces of darkness represent Jesus Christ. The throne in the north, the throne of God, is in darkness. The Latin text is a dedication by fellow priests to Sextus Pompeius Maximus, Roman period. The head of the Statue of Liberty, I'm quoting from UNESCO, Mon document here, is adorned with Mitra's seven rays, and the flame she holds is also a sun symbol. So the same symbol that fired the French Revolution, the Jacobin hat, is the symbol of the United States. That's scary. That's scary. The Statue of Liberty, if you look at its base, there is its cornerstone. Do you recognize the symbol on it? It was Masonically laid. It was a Masonic gift to the United States by France, Transferring the heart of the philosophy to the United States, they knew it would take time to foment and reach fruition, which it is now rapidly doing. But this has been their aim from the very beginning. And they stated this aim so clearly by putting it on their dollar in all their occult symbolism. I'm not going to go into the details, but anybody can uh, study this if they wish to, this is the occult symbol of the capstone which will come down upon the pyramid, the 13 tiers of masonry, 17176, the founding of the Illuminati, the interpolation here of the, sexag- uh, of the hexagram, cutting the letters A-S-N-O-M, which is a scrambling of mason. And if you look at the, the little owl on the other side of the, of the dollar, on the one, there is a half moon, and in the half moon, you will have a little micro dot, and there it is. If you put your magnifying glass upon it, you will see the all-seeing owl of wisdom, the same one they worship in the bohemian grove. All the occult symbols, there are hundreds on it, and they're going to deal with it, but they knew that this was their aim from the very beginning. In the Second World War, these were the main movers and shakers. Everybody knows who these three individuals were. They were Churchill, Roosevelt, and Stalin. Supposedly, these were the shakers and the powers that were arrayed against the evil side, which was the Hitler of uh, Germany and the whole Cataclysm between these two philosophies. Now who were these people? All of them, of course, high-level masons. Vladimir Lenin was a Grand Orient Lodge member. Winston Churchill, a 33-degree Freemason, and here you can see him photographed in his Druid Order Lodge. Now we all know that the Druids have nothing to do with Christianity, but are a pagan society who, uh, well, worshiped the other one. There he is, photographed in his Druid Lodge, and Joseph styling himself Grand Orion Lodge. All the quotes are there for those who wish. President Franklin D. Roosevelt, one of the photographs of indiscretion, here photographed in his full Masonic regalia, and here also photographed with Myron Taylor giving the Masonic handshake in his full Shriner gear. So these were all high masons involved in this very war. If you look at Hitler on the other side and the Jesuits, Hitler said, I learned much from the order of the Jesuits until now there's never been anything more grandiose on earth and the hierarchical system of the Catholic Church. I transferred much of this organization into my own party. The SS, which is, of course, another occult symbolization was constituted according to Jesuit principles. Himmler, head of the SS, was associated with with the Jesuits through his father. Hitler said of him, I can see Himmler as our Ignatius of Loyola. Joseph Goebbels was a trained Jesuit. So both sides warring against the other were just the Hegelian diclectic. One thesis, the other antithesis, Out of this should develop the synthesis, which was to eradicate all opposition to the beast power, so that eventually they would come to the point where they say, who can make war against him? We cannot. We either join him or we die. That was the only solution. So priests were involved in the movement of Adolf Hitler, no matter how much they deny it. They are the cardinals giving the signs Here they all are, all of them in harmony, one with the other. And after this cataclysm, the heroes of this war were the Churchills and the De Gaulles and all of these uh, allied powers. And Winston Churchill then said, The creation of an authoritative world order is the ultimate aim to which we must strive. Charles De Gaulle said, Nations must unite in a world government or perish. I'm not quoting the small fries. I'm quoting the big guns here. And after the Cold War, which was to serve the purpose of making the entire world subservient to this system without anyone knowing how it was done, who got the honor and the glory for this activity? Let's look at it. Oops. I have to go out of this into this mode. 2,400 of his faithful here to welcome him. He's waving to the crowd. Archbishop Regali is alongside the Pope as he shakes hands with the First Lady. We honor you for helping to lead a revolution of values and spirit in Central Europe and the former Soviet Union, freeing millions to live by conscience, not coercion, and freeing all of us from the constant fear of nuclear war. Your Holiness, on behalf of all of us gathered here today, indeed, on behalf of all the people of our beloved nation, we welcome you back to America. So the stage was set, and it was time to pay homage to the beast. So the leaders of the Soviet Union came and repented before him, and a new world order was to approach. He had a special cross, the one that he inherited from Paul VI, and uh, we'll talk about this in a moment. And this was the man of the moment. In the book, Keys of This Blood, Malachi Martin wrote, "Uh, clearly the new agenda, heaven's agenda, the grand design of God, Masonic language, by the way, for the new world order had begun. And Pope John Paul would stride now in the arena of the millennium endgame as something more than a geopolitical giant of his age. He was and remains the serene and confident, another Masonic language, servant, of the grand design. So here was the climax of history about to be implemented. Pope John Paul II speaking at the United Nations, asking for the nations to come together. His 2004 address to the world, his New Year's address, the entire address was dedicated for a call for a new world order. Pope calls for new world order, CNN, Thursday, January 1, 2004. And the political leaders rallied around them from the east and from the west. The time had come for these great events. Immediately post-fall of the Soviet Union, of course attributed to the papacy, which was of course set up, We have the building of a new world. And the United States would play the prominent role just like prophecy said it would do because the Bible says that the beast out of the earth will force the whole world to pay homage to the first beast whose deadly wound had been healed. It is a big idea, a new world order, where diverse nations are drawn together in common cause. Only the United States has both the moral standing and the means to back it up President George Bush. Eventually they all will have to concede their power to a controlling body and that controlling body was to be the United Nations. Let's hear it out of the horse's mouth itself. Where institutions of freedom have lain dormant the United Nations can offer them new life These institutions play a crucial role in our quest for a new world order. An order in which no nation must surrender one iota of its own sovereignty. An order characterized by the rule of law rather than the resort to force. So the United Nations must become the hub of this new world order a governing body where nations can retain their sovereignty subject to this authority. A very interesting statement that was made by him. let wait for the picture to appear. In Europe itself, the picture in Europe changed very dramatically. We're not going to deal with the history tonight, it'll take too long. But the Maastricht Treaty came into effect with 12 stars. There were never 12 members, Never. These are the 12 stars which surround Marian worship. We'll come to that at a little later stage. The new Tower of Babel. This was the poster displayed in the entire Europe. The Tower of Babel under construction. And Jacques Delors, the president of the European Union at that time, said, we are building a new Babel and this time we will succeed. That's quite a challenge. That's quite a challenge. Notice that they have the 12 stars. Actually, they only have 11, the 12th one hiding behind the tower over there, in the goat of Mendes form. And a Crane saying, We are going to succeed. The nations will defy you, God. We'll come together. You will not be able to prevent it. Well, what is the Tower of Babel? Arthur Edward Waite, 33 degree Freemason, says... The Tower of Babel, of course, represented a Masonic enterprise. Out of evil, God was the evil one who confused the languages, comes good, however, and the confusion of tongues gave rise to the ancient practice of Masons conversing without the use of speech. Interesting. So it is a Masonic enterprise. And the new parliament in Europe rises. And it's built in a most strange way. A circular building with a scaffold represented around it. It is, by their own admission, a representation of the Tower of Babel. There it is. Under construction, a new Babel arises. The newer European identity card on the back has the goat of Mendes and they put it right in your face, hiding it on public display. This is the worship of the counter to Jesus Christ. Because that's the only way they can get all religions and all nations to come together. And if you don't believe that Europe is controlled Masonically, here you have the Duke of Kent who is the worshipful master at the moment, receiving the Masonic handshake under the Masonic sign. These are the movers and the shakers in the world today. The Bible tells us there will be a holy alliance between Rome and the beast out of the earth so that this can be implemented on a worldwide basis. And the spirit of prophecy tells us that the spirit of the French Revolution will be permeated throughout the world. Archbishop Quigley in 1903 said, when the United States rules the world... The Catholic Church will rule the world. This is amazing. This is amazing history. Well, does the Catholic Church rule through the United States? Well, who's the man in the middle? It's the Pope. And who are all these people in black around him? They are the trilateral commission. The power think tank of the United States. And here he is with Jewish Freemasonry, B'nai Barit, in the middle. It doesn't matter whether it's Jewish, it doesn't matter whether it's Islamic, it doesn't matter what it is. He is the man of the moment. And the United Nations is going to become the hub in which this philosophy will be enforced worldwide. So it's necessary that we look at the United Nations. Again, let me reiterate something. Logic demands that if all nations are going to come together, politically and ideologically, that's religiously, and unite upon one principle, then it has to, by definition, exclude Jesus Christ. Logic demands it. So the United Nations really has No other choice. Uthant, he was the third secretary general of the United Nations. He said, world federalists hold before us the vision of a unified mankind, living in peace under a just world order. The heart of their program, a world under law, is realistic and attainable. That's their aim. They want to control the entire world. Here is utant with Pope Paul VI. Now utant was a Marxist. Here is Voltheim, a subsequent Secretary General, with the Pope, the same one, receiving the same hearty welcome. What was his philosophy that caused him so much problems? He was a fascist. So two opposing philosophies show you that it doesn't really make any difference what philosophy they had. That's just the front. That's the Hegelian dualism. You know, the thesis and the antithesis. It's what goes on behind the scenes. So what does go on behind the scenes? Pope Paul VI, the one who received these early movers in the United Nations, here with his bent cross, the symbol of Lucifer, the decimated Jesus Christ, with his arms in the Masonic Triangle upside down, and of course the pine cone on there, the symbol of Lucifer, wrote a papal encyclical that called on the nations to abandon sovereignty and to form a world government. So there it came from the papacy itself. Here is uh, the broken cross. It is a symbol used by Satanists, the broken cross, black magicians, sorcerers, It's made to represent the biblical term, Mark of the Beast. That's just the source. Now, the United Nations, to the public, appeared to be a political organization. But really, it was setting up the kingdom of someone else. So let's look at this. What about a spiritual United Nations? The newsletter, World Goodwill, which is an official United Nations organization, says the following. One interfaith organization is called the Temple of Understanding. And they have a newsletter, World Goodwill Newsletter, founded by Juliet Hollister, 1960. The Temple of Understanding has as one of its goals the creation of a spiritual United Nations. Now, who were the founders of this Temple of Understanding? It's important that we see who the people are. Well, here they are. Utant, the Secretary General of the United Nations at that time, Eleanor Roosevelt, the wife of President Roosevelt, Thomas Merton, Nehru, uh, Anwar Sadat, Radha all the top movers in the world, politically and otherwise. Where were they based? In New York at the Cathedral of St. John's the Divine. Does that make you nervous again? The St. John's, the divine? Firstly, remember this. Already just in the name of the cathedral, there is a blasphemy. Why? Because St. John was never divine. He was never divine. This is a misnomer. This is a secret Luciferian code. There is the largest cathedral in the world. It's in New York. It's the Episcopal Diocese. It's where they had the female Christ and all of those things. They have a huge statue of pagan deities, Apollo carrying the world. And uh, now let's have a look at another very prominent United Nations man involved in this centrality. And that man is Robert Miller, former Assistant Secretary General of the United Nations, also said, We must move as quickly as possible to a one-world government, a one-world religion, and a one-world leader. And there you have the full catastrophe. A one-world government, a one-world religion, and a one-world leader. Then you have the fasciai, the fascism, one leader to which the world looks for leadership on these issues. Now, behind the United Nations, again, you will have the top thinkers. We looked at him last night, just briefly. I just sowed the seed. His name was Teilhard de Chardin, the Jesuit. And uh, he was Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. Now, Robert Miller, the Under-Secretary General of the United Nations at that time, wrote, Teilhard de Chardin had always viewed the United Nations as the progressive institutional embodiment of his philosophy. Now, if it was his philosophy, then it was also whose philosophy? The Jesuits' philosophy, because they swear an oath of utter allegiance. Teilhard also wrote, although the form is not yet discernible, mankind tomorrow will awaken to a pan-organized world. Why are you doing that? That's very naughty. Uh, You remember, no, you don't remember this statement. Here's Robert Miller speaking again. And he says, Teilhard de Chardin influenced his companion, father of the whatever, who inspired his colleagues who started a rich process of global and long-term thinking in the UN, which affected many nations and people around the world. Now, Robert Miller says, I have myself been deeply influenced by Teilhard. So the Jesuit had his influence on Miller. Any Teilhardian, he continues, will recognize in this the spiritual transcendence Which he announced so emphatically as the next step in our evolution. Now, remember, he was a Jesuit, he was a Marxist, he was a pantheist, he was an evolutionist, he was a humanist, and he was the father of the New Age movement. You will find him on the Jesuit webpage, it comes straight from them. They don't deny him. And here are some of his quotes It is a law of the universe that in all things there is prior existence, before every form there is a prior but lesser evolved form. Each one of us is evolving towards Godhead. What does that tell you? We're God. This is spiritualism. What I'm proposing to do is to narrow the gap between pantheism and Christianity by bringing out what one might call the Christian soul of pantheism or the pantheistic aspect of Christianity. Now, isn't this thunderous? This is what they want to do to every single church in the world. And will they try it with ours? Yes. The spirit of prophecy said the Omega will be more startling than the Alpha. Remember that? That was pantheism. And we dealt with that, so I'm not going to talk about it anymore. Done is done. I can be saved only by becoming one with the universe. This is Buddhism. I believe that the Messiah, whom we await, whom we all without any doubt await, is the universal Christ, that is to say, the Christ of evolution. He's not mine. Mine is the Christ of creation. So, this is another Christ. And we read this quote last night, a general conversion of religion upon a universal Christ who satisfies them all. That seems to me the only possible conversion of the world and the only form in which a religion of the future can be conceived. And he's right. So, Jesus must be excluded from the equation or else you will not have unity. And if we refuse, then Satan will have to attack that group and obliterate it, or else he doesn't have a complete kingdom. And this is where we're heading. Now, in the United Nations, this man, Dag Hammarskjöld, he was the second Secretary General, had the UN prayer room built. Now, this is a very strange room. It's a trapezoid. It's shaped like a trapezoid, and it has... One altar. And he writes, The stone in the middle of the room has more to tell us. We may see it as an altar. Aha, so it's a place of worship. Empty not because there is no God, because it is an altar to an not because it is an altar to an unknown God, but because it is dedicated to the God whom man worships under many names and many forms. Oops. Is our God worshipped under many names and many forms, yes or no? No. So this prayer room is dedicated to another God, but it's not my God. So now I have a problem. Who is this God? Here are three quotes. The meditation room faces north northeast To enter the room, one must proceed from darkness to light. In other words, Masonic. Indeed, the middle order of the satanic brotherhood is called the order of the trapezoid. That's satanic. Anton LaVey, the founder of the Church of Satan, refers to the occult principle known as the law of the trapezoid. So as soon as you see the trapezoid, that's like the triangle without the capstone, and then get nervous, get very nervous. Robert Miller writes, one could tell several moving stories of the spiritual transformation of the UN has caused to the point that this little speck on earth is becoming holy ground. For example, the rational intellectual economist Doug Hamaskot found God at the United Nations. And inspiration for his work as a world servant in the mystics of the Middle Ages. Towards the end of his markings overflow with spirituality and mysticism. So is this the God of the Bible or is this another one? It must be another one. In the prayer room, they chant, I am, I am, I am, I am. This is a strange philosophy. So now let's look at one of the most important men in the United Nations. Robert Miller, former UN Assistant Secretary General. He's chairperson of the Peace Party 2000. He's called the philosopher and the prophet of hope of the United Nations. He's a deeply spiritual person. We've seen that already. From his vantage point as a top-level, global spokesperson, he had a strong connection between the spirituality and the political-cultural scene. He's also the chancellor of the University of Peace created by the United Nations. So this is not some pumpkin somewhere. He's also the author of the World Core Curriculum, what every person has to learn from henceforth, has been inspired by this man worldwide. He's known as the father of global education. He also earned the UNESCO Peace Education Prize in 1989. He's also the man who set up the framework for world media coverage. What you see on your television is what was permitted through him and his committee. And a framework for planetary and cosmic consciousness and a framework for the arts and culture. He's a busy man. He's a very busy man. So let's ask him what his philosophy is about. He writes in the foreword, in the preface to World Core Curriculum, the following, quote, this is Robert Miller. The underlying philosophy upon which the Robert Miller School is based will be found in the teachings set forth in the books of Alice A. Bailey. Oops. The school is is now certified as a United Nations Associated School, providing education for international cooperation and peace. Now, this is what Alice A. Bailey claimed. She said, Evidence of the growth of a human intellect along the needed perceptive lines can be seen in the planning of various nations in the efforts put forth by the United Nations to formulate a world plan. From the very start of this unfoldment, three occult factors have governed the development of these plans. And she says, within the United Nations, there is a group of informed ones who will lead the world in that direction. There are her quotes. She didn't say what the three occult factors were. We spoke about her already. She was the subsequent leader of the house of the Forth Theosophy, where Blavatsky had reigned. She's the writer of all these articles. She's the one that had them published under the name Lucifer Publishing Company. And this is what she writes. The major effect of his appearance, this is this cosmic Christ we spoke about yesterday, will surely be demonstrative. In every land, the effect of a spirit of Inclusiveness. An inclusiveness which will be channeled or expressed through him. All who seek right human relations will be gathered automatically whether they are in one of the great world religions or not. All who see no true or basic difference between religion and religion, man and man, nation and nation, will rally around him. Those who embody the spirit of exclusiveness and separateness will stand automatically and equally revealed, and all men will know them for what they are. We're in trouble. Would you agree? I think we're in trouble. Now let's see how they're going to bring it about. Education. We already looked at the world core curriculum. The world will not change and find peace if there's not a new education. That's Yu former Secretary General of the United Nations, a teacher. You can find it on the United Nations webpage, direct from the horse's mouth. I'm not making this up, unfortunately. So there's something wrong with our old education for the last 6,000 years. We need a new one. Now, who are the world shakers in education? The former director for the World Health Organization, Dr. Brock Chisholm, stated. Now, take careful note. To achieve world government, it is necessary to remove from the minds of men their individualism, loyalty to family traditions, national patriotism, and religious dogmas. So that's what they want to do. You must give up your individualism, you must become a servant of the state, you must give up your family traditions, you must give up your religion your religious dogmas, and uh, your patriotism. All of those have to go. Now, Robert Miller, who is the author of the World Core Curriculum, uh, is designed to steer our children towards global citizenship, earth-centered beliefs, socialist values, collective mindset, which is becoming a requirement for the 21st century. Well, that's exactly what Kism said. Robert Miller writes... A world core curriculum might seem utopian today, but by the end of the year 2000, is that gone already? It will be down-to-earth daily reality in all the schools of the world. And it had to be enforced by the year 2005. That's an interesting year, isn't it? That's when it had to be enforced. So this year, the government in my country went to all schools and enforced new education criteria. Of course, I've been in education most of my life, and I've seen a change over the years, and I've seen theology professors weep in front of me because of the changes. They weren't allowed to pray in the name of Jesus anymore. All of these things were removed from them, but in the year 2005, it had to go to every school down to the lowest grade. And one of the things that must be taught is evolution. So my own people from my own church, my own church schools, the one organization I belong to, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, they were confronted with the same issue. The government said, you now have to teach evolution or else. And they said to me, what must we do? What must we do? What must we do? And I said, well, you teach evolution? You say, this is what the evolution theory says. Boom, 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 boom. And then you say, this is why it's rubbish. Boom, 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 boom but you teach evolution. Then you're still obeying the laws of the land. You know what's sad for me? Is that there are Christian institutions today that teach evolution without being forced. That's incredibly sad. But anyway, they're going to force it on us whether we like it or not. UNESCO... Julian Huxley is the former director of UNESCO. He was Humanist of the Year, and he signed the Humanist Manifesto, too. So this is Huxley. Skull and Bones member Archibald MacLeish wrote the UNESCO Constitution, so you can see where all this philosophy is coming from. He's also a one-world man, they all are. Huxley wrote the following. In its education program, UNESCO can stress the ultimate need for world political unity and familiarize all peoples with the implications for the transfer of full sovereignty from separate nations to a world organization. So this is what they want to do. Then, under Huxley's guidance, they brought out a guidebook for teachers. And this guidebook was to destroy a child's love for country, to prepare it for world citizenship. On page 8, the teacher is told, The kindergarten or infant school has a significant part to play in a child's education. So they want to get the children earlier and earlier and earlier. And it's fascinating that in England from this year onward, again 2005, children are now required to go to school from the age of three. Three. Because if they are in the school, they can be indoctrinated against the religious beliefs of the parents. In my country, they now have to learn invocations. They have to learn Hindu prayers. They have to be able to recite them. And when the parents say, we're going to homeschool, then the inspectors say, we'll come to your house. And if they can't do it, you've had it. This is interesting. This is fascinating stuff. To correct, it says on this page, the errors of home training. What might those be? Parents, what are you doing that's so erroneous? Now, let's have a look at another organization, enough with the education of the United Nations program. In 1973, the UN Secretary General, U-Tant, so I'm dealing only with the big guys here, formed the organization known as Planetary Citizens, together with a name, man called Donald Keyes. So these two planned this organization. Donald Keyes has been involved in an organization known as Finhorn in Scotland. And this is a New Age organization planning to divide the earth up on terms of ecology. So ecology now becomes so important. Oh, the trees are holy and this is holy and the the fish are holy. And, you know, all these laws. Only native people may use a fish and catch a fish and, oh, law upon law. And in the end, you're not allowed to even have your land anymore because everything is holy. So now let's look at Finhorn organization in Scotland, which is affiliated, as we see, through these top people. Now the spokesman for Finhorn is David Spangler. And it's so nice to have these spokesmen because they tell us what their philosophy is. He writes, quote, in his book, Reflections of the Christ. The true light of Lucifer cannot be seen through sorrow, through darkness, through the rejection. The true light of this great being can only be recognized when one's eyes see with the light of the Christ, the light of the inner sun. Lucifer works within each of us to bring us to wholeness. And as we move into the new age, which is the age of man's wholeness, each of us in some way passes through the point which I call Luciferic initiation. We must pass through it. Lucifer comes to give us the final gift of wholeness. So that's their philosophy. He says further in the same book, Lucifer prepares man in all ways for the experience of Christhood and the Christ prepares man for the experience of God. So we become God the light that reveals to us the presence of the Christ comes from Lucifer. He is the light giver. So, how do they feel about the Bible and Jesus then? David Spangler again. We can take all the scriptures and all the teachings and all the tablets and all the laws and all the marshmallows and have a jolly good bonfire and marshmallow roast because that's all they are worth. So they don't really like the God of the Bible. They prefer the other one. They don't have a choice. They don't really have a choice. Mikhail Gorbachev says basically the same thing. In other words, he says, cosmos is my God, nature is my God. What th- what's that? Pantheism. Pantheism. And then he writes in his uh, uh, concerning the Earth Charter, he writes, that comes from the Los Angeles Times, quoting him, he said, Do not do unto the environment of others what you do not want done to your own environment. My hope is that this charter will be a kind of Ten Commandments, a Sermon on the Mount that provides a guide for human behavior towards the environment in the next century. In fact, they've put it, this charter into a little case, which is like the Ark of the Covenant, and they are going to carry it into the Holy Room of the United Nations and ensconce it as a covenant. This is scary stuff. And then there must be a new economic order. The world is going to change before our eyes. Uh, World Goodwill, again, this organization founded by Utant and all the big people, says the same thing. The United Nations called in 1974 for the redistribution of wealth. Now, let me just de- re- define that for you. If you're going to redistribute wealth, it means what? You're going to take it from those that have and give it to those that you think should have it. Is that right? What does the Bible call that? Stealing, that's right. The Bible says, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods, and thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, house, anything, his ox or his donkey, his implements, his working tools, and his car. Leave him alone. That's what the Bible says. But they're saying, no, we'll redistribute it, and we'll have a new international economic order. Now, what will be the basis of that order? Let's go to the beast. This is the famous encyclical Rerum Novarum. This was the defining economic thought principle of the Roman Catholic Church. One of the Roman Church's state-most influential statements on economic matters is the 1891, it's very old, encyclical Rerum Novarum on the condition of the working classes. Now, it's based on the proletariat. Marxism and the final enemy, the capitalist order, which will disappear. Now, Pius, quotes, writing in 1931, declared the following, Pope Pius. Remember, these popes are infallible. Rerum novarum, however, stood out in this that it laid down for, what's it say there? All mankind, unerring rules for the right solution of the difficult problem of human solidarity called the social question. So, rerum novarum forms the basis. Now, let's go to the next pope, John Twenty-Third, the one of Vatican II. By far the most notable evidence of the social teaching and action which the Church has set forth through the centuries, undoubtedly, is the very distinguished encyclical letter, rerum novarum. Next pope. Interesting. So, what is the economic thought of the Roman Catholic Church? It comes from Thomas Aquinas. Let's read it. Because the goods of some are due to others, by natural law there is no sin if the poor take the goods of their neighbors. Thomas wrote, In cases of need, all things are common property, so there would seem to be no sin in taking another's property, for need has made it common. Who defines the need? Not only is the taking of another's property not sin, it is not even a crime. It is lawful for a man to succor his own needs by the means of another's property by taking it either openly or secretly, nor is this properly speaking theft or robbery. It is not theft, properly speaking, to take secretly and use another's property in case of extreme need because that which he takes for the support of his life becomes his own property by reason of that need. In the case of a like need, a man may also take secretly another's property in order to succor his neighbor's need. That's nice. You can be a philanthropist and have long fingers at the same time. Now, surely this is not accepted thought. Wrong. John Paul II. Now we're with the previous pope. Expression in his 1987 encyclical on the social concern. It is necessary to state once more the characteristic principle of Christian social doctrine. The goods of this world are originally meant for all. The right of private property is valid and necessary, but it does not nullify the value of this principle. Private property, in fact, is under a social mortgage. That's why in Africa you can chase the farmers off the land and take the land, and the farmer still has to pay the rates. But he doesn't own the land. He can become a worker for his workers, and maybe stay on the land if he begs them and speaks nicely, because if they don't want to feed them, he might feed them. We have laws all over the world that if you leave your house vacant, they can move in and take your house, and when you come back, you can't kick them out. You have to get an eviction order, which you cannot get if he has need. So the best you can do is move in with him. Pope Paul VI made this point quite clear. Each man has therefore the right to find in the world what is necessary for himself. The recent council reminded us of this, God intended the earth and all that he contains for the use of every human being and people. Thus, as all men follow justice and unite in charity, created goods should abound for them on a reasonable basis. All other rights whatsoever, including those of property and of free commerce, are to be subordinate to this principle. So it's Thomas Aquinas thinking. And John Paul II says exactly the same. He writes, If one is in extreme necessity, he has the right to procure for himself what he needs out of the riches of others. He's the man of lawlessness. He's the man of sin. The Bible defines him correctly. Uh, And so we go through the council. He writes further. This is John Paul II. Laborum sense. He writes, All goods included, not just the goods found in nature, but manufactured goods as well. All people, Paul declared, that all men must have access to those goods which are intended for common use, both goods of nature and manufactured goods. That's why if you have a car and a man comes up to you and puts a gun to your head and says get up or he doesn't even bother to tell you to get out, he just puts a bullet through you and pulls you out and takes your car and drives off well, it's very hard. When you come in my country now you come into your home and you find a thief in your home ransacking your home and you shoot him you go to jail for murder. You go to jail for murder. If you come into your home And uh, you find a man inside raping your wife. You get the police. The police come in and they shoot him. The policeman goes to jail for murder. Because if the man stopped, he is no danger to you anymore and he may go. You cannot stop him. And you cannot keep him in jail and you cannot do anything. And these people are just running free. These laws are alive and well and operating, although we do not even know it. The complex circumstances of our time make it necessary for public authority to intervene more often in social economic culture. And this man over here, George Bush, said, the best way to honor John Paul, to truly one of the great men, is to take his teachings seriously, to listen to his words and put his words and teachings into action. Here in America, this is a challenge we must accept. Now, this social disorder is what we are experiencing our country right now. And you have no idea what it entails. You have no idea. Three of my close neighbors have been murdered. The houses are ransacked. They take them away. Our church members, the pastor was pushed into the back of a car. They tried to take his car and accost him. Another church member, they tied him to a chair. They ransacked his house. They had big trucks load up everything and just take it away. they do nothing about it. You have to start all over again. Is this idea going to be disseminated? Here is Jacobinism and Americanism. Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice used a February 8th speech in Paris to extol the Bush's administration's global democratic revolution, which she says continues the work, of the 18th century French Revolution. We have a prophet that's bang on target. Here is the World Economic Forum. There is a former president of the United States, Bill Gates, I own president, Thabo Mbeki, and then uh, the prime minister of the United States. And What's Bono doing there? Don't underestimate that man. Don't underestimate that man. He said, he'll see to the redistribution of wealth. Don't underestimate it. So, a new economic order, we're going to lose everything. They're going to come and they're going to take it away. Are you ready for it? They're going to come and they're going to take it away. There was a vision. She saw people coming and then it turned into a Catholic procession and they confiscated everything. They're going to come and take it away. I don't care. They're going to have it for a little while and then it's going to go. But the Lord has a mansion prepared for those that love him. Now let's look at this new world religion. Robert Miller writing, Was it not inevitable that the UN would sooner or later also acquire a spiritual dimension? And then he writes, this is Robert Miller writing, Pope John Paul said that we were the stone cutters and artisans of a cathedral which we might never see in the finished beauty. What language is this? This is Masonic language. This is Masonic language, referring to the Pope. The tapestry of its work encompasses the total condition of humankind on this planet. So it's not just politics, it's spirituality and all other aspects. All this is part of the most prodigious pages of evolution. It will require the detachment and objectivity of future historians To appraise fully what happened in the last third of our century and to understand what the real significance of the United Nations was. Well, help us a little bit. He writes here in his book, My Testament to the UN No human force will ever be able to destroy the United Nations. For the United Nations is not a mere building or a mere idea, it is not a man made creation. Well, who made it then? The United Nations is the vision light of the absolute supreme. Masonic language for whom? Spangler told us who it was. Lucifer. Which is slowly, steadily, and unerringly illuminating the ignorance, the night of human life. The divine success and supreme progress of the United Nations is bound to become a reality. At his choice hour, the absolute supreme will ring his own victory bell here on earth through the loving and serving heart of the United Nations. So Satan is setting up his kingdom and it's going to be through the United Nations. Isn't it interesting that in the year 2005 United Nations powers are now being increased? Isn't that interesting? Curriculum 2005, United Nations power increased in 2005, Pope John Paul II dies in 2005. Oh, I've got lots more to tell you. It's very interesting. What is Robert Miller's philosophy? Let's just get it quite straight. Decide to open yourself to the potential of the human race, to the infinity of your inner self, and you will become the universe at long last, your real divine self. Where did you find that philosophy? Masonry. I am more and more drawn to some of the very simple but extremely important teachings of the Christ, not Jesus Christ, and of all the great prophets and visionaries. I'm increasingly convinced that what they foresaw is beginning to become a reality on the planet and that humanity is transcending or metamorphosing itself into what those great dreamers, visionaries, and prophets envisioned. The world's major religions, in the end, all want the same thing. Worldwide spiritual ecumenism expressed in new forms of religious cooperation and institutions would probably be closest to the heart of the resurrected Christ. Well, my great personal dream, he says, is to get a tremendous alliance between the major religions and the UN. So this is a religious thing. Then they organized an organization which is called the UR. The United Religions Organization. It was founded in June 1995 at an Interfaith Summit Conference, San Francisco, uniting the world's religions into a global organization. This is a UN-sponsored affair. And then, what happens then? The United Nations, according to its literature... Uh, The URO, that's the United Religions Organization, was launched. It's written charter this past June 1997. It should be fully in place June 2005 and globally operational by June 2005. Interesting or not? I don't mind that interesting. And what does Robert Miller say about it? Do not worry if not all religions, will join the United Religions Organization. Many nations did not join the UN at its beginning, but later regretted it, and made every effort to join. It was the same with the European community. It will be the case with the world's religions, because whoever stays out or aloof will sooner or later regret it. Is that a threat? Oh, we're in trouble. Brothers and sisters, we're in trouble. The world's major religions must speed up dramatically their ecumenical movement, he writes. And what must disappear? My religion, right or wrong, my nation, right or wrong, must be abandoned forever in the planetary age. Sorry. There's only one name under heaven and earth whereby you may be saved, and that's the name Christ Jesus. I'm sorry. I'm in trouble. I don't think I'll be able to continue these lectures very much longer. But uh, this is the fact of the matter. Revelation nineteen nineteen: I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, their armies, gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. Are we at that point, brothers and sisters? I believe so. But the good news is, the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the remnant was slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. The Lord is not going to take this lightly. This is the final confrontation. This is the final event. We are at the doorstep of the end time events that the prophets of old have longed to be part of. We're very privileged. Now we can become terribly afraid or we could lift up our heads and lean on Jesus and on Him alone. It's our choice. There's no other choice because this is on its way. This is on its way. But Revelation 19 6 says, And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Tomorrow night we're going to look at this final showdown and we're going to look at who's involved and precisely define it, no leeway this way or that way. Tomorrow night will be the climax and uh, everything we've been waiting for is being fulfilled. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these things are written in your book And you have told us ahead of time so that when it does happen, we may believe. Lord, some of us will be afraid. But you are more than mighty to lift up all that are trembling. And the faintest cry of the weakest of your saints will not go unheard. And Lord, we want to stand for righteousness and truth and uphold your holy name. Stand for your principles, for your law, for your government. Stand for your honor and your character and stand in the face of all this confusion and say, this is our God and we will serve him come what may. Bless your people, Lord. We are heading for a crisis. Perhaps we won't see each other again before we meet on the sea of glass. But may the God of all grace and kindness Keep his shadow, keep us in the shadow of His wing. Hide us in the cleft of the rock. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. If this episode impacted you, please share it with others. Amazing Discoveries is a donor-supported ministry. To help us keep producing content like this, visit AmazingDiscoveries.org. And, as always, You can find the visual presentation of this episode on ADTV.watch.